Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. On today's show, we're coming at you with a USWNT recap against Spain. United States dropped this one 2-0 in Europe. Quick reminder before we take a deep diver into everything, watch all of our Attacking Third episodes, previews, recaps, interviews on YouTube. Subscribe to our page to get notified whenever we go live at youtube.com slash attacking third. Hello to everyone joining us live and active in the chat. Hello to you, Lisa. How you doing, bud? Hi, Sandra. It's great to be back on here with you today. We've just been chatting it up. We're doing a lot of recordings today, a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. Listen, it's a, a big lot week. of chat with you today, and I don't hate it, to be honest. I love it's, chatting with you. It's a big week. We've been putting together all the content. Just wait, everybody. It's coming your way, because even though this was an international window and we've had to talk a lot about the U.S. Women's National Team, Obviously, the news uh, surrounding U.S. soccer and the uh, full report by Sally Q. Yates as well. Within that, just on the horizon, there is an NWSL playoff that will be taking place. So we've got some good stuff in the works for everyone, but we got to take it one step at a time. Let's start with this one. The United States wrap up a two-game series in Europe, the first of which they faced off against England. And that resulted in a 2-1 loss, the 2019 World Cup champions falling to the 2022 Euro champions. And that set the stage for this second match against Spain, which everyone, I think, sort of had their eyes on coming out of that England match, not just because it was the next one in front of them, but some of the, the storylines around this Spain national team as well. Perhaps maybe some of us thinking that maybe this one was going to be a little bit more even. We're going to what could we see out of this game between these two teams? Where what we've heard from the U.S. side of things that the emphasis on results have been subdued a little bit going into these matches in light of all of the news coming out around women's professional soccer in the United States. But looking at the Spanish side of things, they also have been dealing with some things between uh, a key number of players 
and the Spanish Federation as well. 15 players notably missing uh, on this uh, Spain national team roster. 15 players who uh, came together and tried to reach out to their federation to bring attention to uh, what they are referring to, uh, you know, toxic playing environments under and led by head coach Jorge Vidal. Uh, and ultimately, um, that falling on deaf ears uh, because the Federation took those uh, emails from those players as a resignation, quite frankly, uh, as private players. Emails. They took private emails, made them yeah. public and took player resignation. Yeah. And they uh, have sort of said that uh, they will not be calling these players back in until they apologize. That was the 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 wording that was used. Apologize and ask for forgiveness. So we were uh, a number of us were wondering what this game uh, would look like, could look like uh, essentially, uh, you know, being touted as a uh, as a B team. Right. For for Spain Um, didn't look like that. Uh, in, in this in this match, quite frankly, uh, let's maybe sort of start there. We're talking about maybe big names that might have been missing for Spain, uh, but the United States going into this one as well. Uh, Emily Fox uh, listed out with a concussion. We saw Carson Pickett get called in uh, to her place, and she was tasked with the start. We saw um, you know certain players on, on minutes restrictions, whether that was a player like Huerta or, or Crystal Dunn, who's working back in and uh, building up her minutes with the national team at this point. Um, so we already knew that the team was going to be without a Mallory Pugh, without an Alex Morgan. They were uh, unavailable for these games, even even as they got kicked off against England. But, you know, looking at this match, when we did this, the preview for this game specifically, Lisa, we we sort of were talking about what maybe we would like to see in this match. I know I expressed that I'd wanted to see another consecutive start for Trinity Rodman. When you saw the starting 11 drop for this game, what did you think when you took a look at it? Yeah, I was pleased to see Trinity Rodman getting the start again. Um, the, the front attacking six for the United States were the same that Black Wendonoski rolled out for the England match. So that's Megan Rapino, Sophia Smith, uh, Trinity Rodman as the front three, and then Lindsay Horan, Andy Sullivan, and Rose Lavelle in the midfield. Um, and I'm, I'm I wasn't too surprised. But then as I continued to read the starting lineup, I was a little bit surprised to see that Naomi Germa was not getting the start in the center back role because I think she just did a tremendous job against England. Um, She's proven herself in domestic play with San Diego Wave in the NWSL. And I think she had a really, really good game against England. So the fact that you don't give her the start again um, and and have a little bit of consistency in that center back role tells me that in substituting in Becky Sauerbrunn um, for for Gurma alongside Alana Cook, that Gurma is maybe still a bit of a question mark to him in some senses, or, or Cook is the stable one in that in that center back duo. Um, and Sauerbrunn, they're trying to rotate her in and out. Um, but that was shocking to me because I think Gurma should have deserved to start perhaps over Alana Cook, because I don't think Alana Cook had the strongest showing against England. Um, I think Gurma outplayed her. And I think uh, obviously hindsight is always 2020. And looking back at this Spain game, I wonder how Gurma would have done in that center back pairing and doing Um, between the outside backs, Carson Pickett sliding into the left back role for Emily Fox. It's not a surprising 
swap by any means. We knew Emily Fox was out on the concussion protocol, out of this roster after England's match on Friday and Pickett was being called in. And the fact that we saw Mace start in the right back role, um, not too surprising considering she played there at the end of the England match. But um, I was still shocked to to not see Huerta there uh, and and Gurma just considering how they played in that England match. Um, so if, if I was expecting changes in this one, it was not coming in, in taking Gurma out. It was maybe going to see um, Ashley Hatch get a start up top or different midfield rotation with Sam Coffey getting more minutes centrally, but that's not at all what we saw. And then, of course, uh, Casey Murphy, the other change, four changes for Vlako Anonofsky, all defensive changes in Pickett, Sauerbrunn, Mace, and Murphy in goal for Alyssa Nair. Um, but you got to see Rodman get the start up top, something that yeah. you wanted to see again. How, how do you think her play compared to the England match versus this one against Spain? You know what? I I thought we saw more out of Rodman in the game against England. Yeah. That's not to say that we didn't see enough or um, continued development or progress in, in this one against Spain, because something that I think is honestly a bit of a common thread in both of the games, sort of an overarching view is, is and this is actually a compliment because it's something that I've really appreciated out of Rodman's play this year in her second year in NWSL is her defensive work rate um, on the pitch. We know that Trinity Rodman is a brilliant attacker. Uh, she is a smart player when she gets on the ball and wants to make back lines and oppositions play. She's not intimidated, uh, you know, by, by, you know, the concept of going one V one or selfish in the sense where she is afraid to make the extra pass. Right. But something else that we've seen, out of her over the course of her NWSL play is her defensive work rate as well. She's been covering a lot of ground. And while, yes, that's a compliment, I think over these two games, you do have to wonder if maybe that was um, not so much like a detriment to, uh, you know, the, 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 the two games that had two losses. But I think you want to see out of this particular player the her, those abilities, those attacking abilities that we know she has sort of um, right. exhibited already. So sort of having that full 90 minutes against England, I thought there was a lot more there, right, in between the lines that perhaps um, the 45 or so that she got uh, against this Spain side, um, particularly because – the whole team at times during this game against Spain, you know, looked a little flat at times. Yeah. It just the, everybody looked a little bit off and you just have flat to. Hear a about it a little bit. Yeah. Flat's yeah. a really good word for it. And maybe it was um, a little bit of a quick turnaround, right there, the travel, but that's very typical for friendlies, um, a pair of friendlies to have that turnaround. And I don't know. Flat is definitely a word for it. And, and yeah. you have to take into account um, the mental side of everything that has kind of taken a toll on these players in the last week after the Yates investigation results have, have come out and been um, released. Everything that is affecting those players. And you look at the Spain side and everything they're dealing with off the pitch as well. Um, I do think that leading up to the England match for the United States, there was a little bit more in, intensity and hype for that match playing against England, right? Huge competitors for the United States, European champions at Wembley. The stadium was rocking. There was maybe a little bit more buildup to that game. Um, and still the United States uh, walking away with a loss in that one, but they did score two goals, one goal in that match. Um, but, but conceding dose uh, two, right? Like 
two goals in both of these games, I think that's something that needs to be circled and looked at and kind of where those breakdowns are happening higher up the pitch, um, yeah. whether it's losing the ball in the midfield, uh, not w- looking to get back on top of the ball as soon as you lose it, right? So it's first three steps as a player that as soon as you lose it, first three steps, get back on the ball. And and those were um, that jolts that we didn't see from the United States in this match against Spain about working every which way to get the ball back as soon as you lose it. And then there becomes breakdowns defensively when you, you're unorganized and stretched out of shape. Um and I think Spain, I mean, I'm not discrediting them at all. They had a they had a good game. I think Spain played well with the players that they had. And um, I, I think they I mean, moved the ball really well. And honestly, it's, I- it's unfortunate. And quite frankly, with everything going on with 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 those 15 players out of Spain and, and the Federation, you hate to see it and you hate to even think about it because, you know, you it's almost like they made Vidal look like a genius, you know, at a point. I mean, these, some of these goals, you have to talk about these goals that were conceded, right? We had a goal uh, from Spain in that uh, in that first half. And in the winding minutes of that first half, we're talking about 39th, 40, 40th minute, and this first goal coming off of a set piece of all things okay, against, yeah. the, against the United States. So against the run of play, this wasn't some like, you know, beautiful tiki taka, like, you know, 1100 players touching the ball before, you know, it gets into the back of the net. Like, no, this was a, a failed clearance, uh, you know, off of a, of a corner kick and Boom! You have the the first goal, and this is not only is this a goal that's conceded off a of corner kick, it's it's a goal that's conceded off a of corner kick by Spain after the United States had an opportunity off of a set piece of their yep. own. So yep. just sort of looking at these things uh, a little bit, you sort of maybe that of the two goals, perhaps maybe that was the one where you sort of looked at and said maybe that mental aspect of the United States isn't here in this game. And understandably so we've been talking about it all week, right. And in, in the build up to these games, um, but you go into the halftime down one zero, you look for adjustments. And I don't know if we actually really saw that out of the coaching staff in this game. I mean, that probably had a ton to do with it as well. I mean, if your team is struggling mentally, if you know, if you're witnessing yeah. firsthand the week, the very difficult week they're having leading up to some of these matches, you have to try to prepare them the best that you can. As That's your job as a, as a coach, as a coaching staff. Um, and just sort of seeing like, you know, the, the the lack of adjustment to sort of combat a, a five back, you know, from from Spain at times, and um, just lack of ideas, right? Unfortunately, yeah. And, and yeah. So in, in this match, it's I think in every soccer game, it comes down to um, goals that are really well scored by the other team. When you just say like, "Wow, that's a great goal," and there are other moments where you say. Hey, we gave that to them. Um, that was that was a defensive breakdown or, or whatever it was. And on the first goal that Spain scored, the corner kick, it was it was a bad defensive breakdown from the United States because it was sloppy from both sides. It wasn't. Hey, that was a great goal by Spain. I mean, they got a goal. They found the back of the net. I'm sure they're happy about that, especially in the first half of this game. So now they're going into the locker room one up. But for the United States, that is bad defending. I mean, Carson Pickett slips on the ball. So that's unfortunate, right? Like that's just an unfortunate situation that happens, but they don't get to the ball first. They don't clear it out on the first touch. So that's 
That's something that the United States definitely talked about in the locker room because it's a set piece. All you've got to do is mark your man, mark your area, and be the first one and the second one to the ball and get it out. Like That's how you simplify situations like that, and they couldn't do that. They didn't win the first ball. They didn't win the second ball, and they don't end up clearing it. Then when it does drop to Spain's players, no one steps for it. Watching that goal happen was um, – infuriating. I was like, what's happening? Are they stuck in the mud? Like, why is no one stepping to those players? And and that's a bad defensive breakdown on the United States part. I was eager to to get your hear your thoughts on it. Right. I, whenever I'm, I'm seeing a defensive breakdown, I'm like, I want to ask my my friend and, and former defender, uh, Lisa Roman, uh, about it. But I was absolutely thinking when I saw this first goal happen and just sort of the lack of clearances, I was like, oh, boy, uh, can't wait to hear uh, Lisa talk about this one. But like, but, you know, even with all that, like I said, going into a half mm-hmm. down one zero, it is not an unmanageable game at this point. Right. I think that's like the general concept you're thinking coming out of the second half is, yes, you know, perhaps make some adjustments. Yes, perhaps give this same group till about the hour mark to perhaps continue to unlock some things. We did see some player adjustments in this one. And and maybe I want to get your thoughts on those, you know, in terms of the substitutions uh, that came into this game for the United States, you know, just uh, ahead of those that that second goal from from Spain and, and right around the hour mark, we got to see Crystal Dunn continue uh, to de- work on her minutes and develop on time with the team. Sam Coffey came in for Andy Sullivan and Sophia Huerta coming in for Haley Mace. Now, when we're looking at these particular positions on the pitch, Huerta for Mace, Coffey for Sullivan, Dunn for Pickett. Would you say that these were some of the areas that desperately sort of needed some some attention, you know, going into this deeper into this second half? Because we were looking at that, you know, that that first goal didn't necessarily give an indication that the United States were going to, you know, have the wheels fall off of them. But we definitely saw Spain continue their game plan. They were trying to exploit some things along uh, along the wings there. Yeah. So um, this is like a double edged sword for me because watching this game. I felt that there was um, it, it was flat. There was a lack of energy in the midfield and and the front six. I'm going to say I'm going to be honest. The front six of the United States players and the back four were put under a lot of pressure. Um, and and they were newer, right? You have Pickett there, you have Mace. Um, of course, Sauerbrunn is, is a huge veteran, but you do have a little bit of, of newness across that back line in dealing with this main side. And I don't think that the front six did anything, any favors to the back four in their defensive efforts. So initially heading into the halftime, I was like, okay, maybe we'll see some front line adjustments, right? Or maybe even a midfield adjustments just to get um, some fresh blood in there, right? Right, to, to change it up because as a player sitting on the sidelines, standing next to your coach, assistant coaches all around you, you're learning so much um, about what's happening on the game, where the spaces are, how things can happen because Spain rolled out there with a five back and the United States had trouble breaking that down, right? They, they, their shots on goal were zero heading into the 60 minute mark. And to give Spain a lot of defensive credit, they, they held the United States at arm's length. So then when we, we go into this substitution period for Vlako Anonofsky, and he does rotate out Mace and Pickett and Sullivan, the, the big defensive players as Sullivan and that defensive 
defensive six role and then your outside backs. I was like, yeah, I mean, these players are, are not doing great. They're being put under a ton of pressure in the flanks of, of the pitch. Spain is doing a great job combination play, attacking the wide areas of the field. Pickett and Mace are just under a lot of pressure. They're not able to get forward. They're not able to join in the attack. So in terms of that, yes, those were players and, and that's where there was a lot of pressure on the field. But I think there was um, an opportunity for Black Wenonofsky to rotate in some players higher up the pitch earlier in the game to kickstart the defensive efforts um, from the very front line that would have been a valve release on the pressure that the outside backs were facing. Um, and that's kind of where my mind was watching this match. No, I, I feel you 100% because I, I mean, we're looking at, like, I'm, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm, like, replaying the second goal in my mind, like, listening to you talk about this. It's, it's like it's like having lyrics to, to a song, you know, quite frankly. So I'm just kind of, you were watching this, this second goal come, come to life. And again, just looking for that, that answer or that adjustment. Um, you know, I think that was a big question mark coming into this game out of that England game specifically about the middle third, you know, that there was, uh, there was an element of uh, the United States, midfield kind of getting bullied a little bit quite frankly out of that England game um and not maybe necessarily having the the response inadequate enough of a response uh you know in in that middle third and I think you know watching Andy Sullivan a bit during uh this game I felt it was a little bit of a better performance out of that uh first game against England but I'm also uh I'm also equally impressed with with Sam Coffey and and her ability to come in and try to to sort of spearhead some things uh as well it's it's definitely a bit of a question mark you know in light of many players out and missing uh from the national team program at this moment we we did talk about yes how there there wasn't a an alex morgan or a mallory pew but just listening to to andonofsky before um you know this actual game and in media and prior media availability uh going into this spain game specifically uh, mentioning and noting how there are players unavailable for this match and proceeded to go down a very long list outside of Alex Morgan and Pugh, but went on to mention, you know, players like Katarina Macario not being in this, uh, Tierna Davidson not being part of this group, Lynn Williams not being part of this group, Sam Mewis not being part of this group. And, uh, and that's understandable. But at the same time, like listening to this, it's kind of like, well, there's also no real updates at this current timeline for these particular players. So this is the group moving forward. And what we've seen in some NWSL matches out of some clubs, that if the system is 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 working and in place you're able to slot in players in and out as you see fit because the system is in play and it is something that they can fall into i don't know at this point if we're seeing that with this team especially coming out of these two games i think there's um there's an angle and a level of this where we're not trying to be super critical in light of these two games and the week that they took place in the mental fatigue that these players have to endure on what feels like a month to month basis at this point is unreal. 
The yeah. fact that they are required, have required that of themselves to compartmentalize everything in order to function as a professional soccer player on the pitch is unreal. It's something that you wouldn't that you wouldn't ask of, of their male counterparts, but it is asked of them what feels like month to month. So I am I am not in any way trying to have us like come on here and be like, oh, like let's be super critical of the fact that these are the two back-to-back losses. It's the first time there's been two back-to-back losses in five years. One of these losses was a shutout. You know, there's there's gonna be heavy emphasis on this, but there are all these other underlying factors within these two losses, I think, that we saw on this pitch as well. I think it's one thing to sort of go from an England game where you had the sort of you had the buildup of these two heavyweights and then the environment of Wembley Stadium and the and the over 75,000 people who were there. And, yeah. you know, the fact that they did score, the fact that Trinity Rodman had a disallowed goal, like there was a level of excitement there. And then to sort of see this team going up against Spain, another federation that is out currently going through. Uh, some things with, with with players of their own, just sort of the energy was just a bit different in this one. And for a program, for a United States women's national team program that has prided themselves on the mentality factor being their X factor compared to other programs, I think we saw over these games what can happen if that looks fractured or broken. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to echo this and 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 kind of, uh, take something that hasn't been released yet, but we spoke with a player this week about um, everything that had happened. And this player saying, I don't know how, but the league scheduled this. So we had off right now. I couldn't even imagine juggling a ball right now. And she gave props yeah. to the players at the international level saying, I don't know how they are competing right now. I, I don't know how. And this is a player that, um, had an off week with her NWSL team. So the fact that these players went out there and, and still competed um, and, and I, I assure you that they are hard on themselves in terms of the, the play that they put out there because these are professionals. This is their job. Um, this is their dream to play for their country, especially 10 months out from a world cup and to be able to get caps and get minutes. And I think that was something that black Wedonofsky was trying to do with this group is get them more experience because it was an incredibly inexperienced group when you when you look at them um because mace seven caps carson pickett two caps both of those players started this game and we are criticizing right the pickett and and Mace saying that they were put under a lot of pressure in the outside flanks area and and they spain attacked them and went at them but right they they got their eighth and third cap respectively between those two so this was a, a group that black wadonofsky wanted to give them experience playing against um, top competitors, right? Spain ranked number eight heading into this match. And yes, their 15 players were missing from this game, but they're still an incredibly good team. They talked about how their U-20s won the World Cup and everything else in terms of that leading down their youth program is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly tough and good. And this is a team that wanted to go out there and think of those young players on Spain wanting to say, hey, I went up against the United States and I won this game. But the United States and this this team, everything that they've been through, um, and then to go out onto the pitch, they're hard on themselves for these two losses, for sure. I, I know it because the clock is ticking, and in 10 months' time, they will be in Australia, and they will be in New Zealand competing in a World Cup, and and there's a lot to be done on and off the pitch before we get to that point. 
Absolutely. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, wrap up the game and perhaps what comes next for the U.S. women's national team after these two losses right after a quick break. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, well, let's just sort of run down and close out this 2-0 loss against Spain. When you're looking at the numbers, Lisa, not too big of a difference. You've got United States out shooting Spain 10-8. to Total shots on target, Spain with three, United States with two. Possession also somewhat narrow, 52% to the United States, 48%. And you've got passing at 454 passes for Spain over United States, 413, with pass accuracy of 74 from Spain compared to the United States at 73. When you're looking at the numbers. Look at you pulling out all these stats, Sandra. I love it. I love it. You're looking at the numbers. It almost kind of reads a little bit different, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, when you look at the possession, I think that's a huge thing because Spain is known for for their clickety-clackety possession and, and short passes and all around the pitch. And that was something that the commentators talked about throughout the match, which I actually appreciated because um, I, I like to – assess that with the numbers of possession that we're seeing and then the naked eye and at 52% to Spain and 48% to the United States. I did not think that that was it. I thought Spain had much more of the possession than those numbers give way to. So that's like my own judgment of like how I assess how the game is going. And I thought that throughout the first half, right, first 20 minutes, the United States did control a lot of the game and, and they had opportunities and they were very patient with their buildup and what they were able to do. But as this match went on, specifically after Spain got that second goal, um, I I didn't see an urgency and an intensity spike for the United States, which is something I was hoping to see. Uh, Perhaps that does play into a lot of the mental fatigue that these players are are feeling right now. But I think that's when Spain really took control of this game. And we saw a big maturity from so many of the young players on Spain after they scored that second goal. And then they just managed and maintained the game from that point on. Yeah, I'm with you. I think coming out of this game, you know, let's just let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, There wasn't much uh, to take out of the media availability with Ananovsky. I think uh, there was a live stream of it presented by U.S. Soccer, but not the the best quality in terms of the the audio, unfortunately. But the little that I did hear these two games, including this most recent loss against Spain, checking a lot of the boxes that the coaching staff wanted, apparently, going into this two-game series in Europe. They wanted to face top 10 opposition. Check. Mm -hmm. They've done that. They wanted to be on the road in other countries. Check. They did that in front of – you know, opposition's fans in the stands where perhaps they were not pro-United States. Check. Done. Right. They wanted to continue to see more minutes from certain players, perhaps to get some more evaluation out of them in the buildup to 2023. Check. They've also done that as well. So it's a lot of the, some of the echoing of the same sentiments, um, that were, uh, you know, sort of already spoken about going into these games. But 
coming out of them, Lisa. We're, we're nearing the end of this calendar year. 2022 is almost over. On the horizon, this national team has two more games in November coming up. They will be in the United States facing off against Germany. So another uh, bit of a test for this team to kind of close out the calendar year. Huge. You know, when, we're, when we're looking at when we're looking at these two games, you know, when we're looking at these two losses specifically, there's gonna. I think there's a, a level of uh, panic, quite frankly, uh, that's that's settling in. I think that's champagne problems, right? When you're the number one team in the world for so long, and the expectation is to win everything all the time, and uh, when you start getting into the top tens of things, whether it's in domestic leagues or whether it's uh, internationally, I think the margins are much much finer and much more narrow. And I think that was another reminder coming out of these two games as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're yeah. talking about five years since the last time there was a two game skid. I believe it was out of that 2017 She Believes Cup. Um, I do believe I was covering that in person at the time. So it definitely was uh, quite the scenes uh, witnessing that all up front. Um but uh, would you say at this point, looking ahead to to these uh, games against Germany, looking ahead to 2023, uh, is some is somebody on the hot seat? Are you is there is there starting to, to be some some finger pointing going on? Yeah, I mean, I think that the fans are definitely finger pointing at, at head coach Lackwanovsky. I think that there are a lot of question marks from outside people and personnel towards him as the head coach and as what he can do with this team and, and maybe what he hasn't been able to do. Um, personally, though, I'm not really pointing a finger at him at this point. I think that there's still too many factors to be done. Um, at 10 months out from the World Cup is a long time, but it is also not a long time at all. And and Vlachwaninovsky had to deal with going to the Tokyo Olympics in 2020 without really having a squad to practice with, right? Like that was after the COVID year. We've talked a lot about this, how you couldn't bring in new players because there wasn't training. So you had to just stick with the old players and he couldn't bring in any new tactics or formation because there was no time to train and go with that. And and that's been echoed about the national team for years. It's not the same as a club team. You can't just change things when you go to a friendly and you have players with you for nine days. Um, that's not enough training. That's it's not enough to implement brand new styles or do other things like that. And when you look at the the cards, I'm going to say that Black Wadonofsky has been dealt in terms of players and personnel and the injuries that this team has been plagued with. And I mean completely plagued because I think that if we if the United States played against England and against Spain, um, maybe right after uh Tokyo in 2020 or early 2021 when they had the strength of players like Katarina Macario, Lynn Williams, Sam Mewis, Tierna Davidson in the back line before Crystal Dunn um, uh, was out for maternity leave and pregnancy. I think it would have been a different game. I think that things would have been different. Even at that point, Alyssa Nair was still injured at that point. I think even then with the, the goalkeepers that we have and having that um, all those players, and it's not because they're so good and the players that played this past week are bad because that's not it at all. I think experience has to, a lot to do with it. And missing that many players in, in that such a quick span of time for Black Wenonofsky to have to call in new players to try out different things, I think that's really difficult for a team to do. And the rest of the world is becoming increasingly better and better and better at football. And that's a really good thing to see because that means that this sport is growing and 
that's that's what we want to see, right? Higher competition. The United States doesn't want to go out there and blow out team seven nothing. They want competition. They want things to work on. And they found a lot of things to work on in these two European friendlies against England and against Spain. I think some really big bright spots is is the goalkeeping. I was really happy to see Casey Murphy get um, 90 minutes against Spain. I think that she was put under a lot of pressure with not a lot of defensive stops in front of her. We talked about the first goal, it being a misclearance, a bad defensive, no clearance by the defenders. She couldn't see, uh, she can't make that save, but there were a number of saves. I mean, there's one coming to mind in the second half that probably could have been a goal depending on any other goalkeeper uh, that that would have been between the sticks for the United States. And Murphy is able to uh, kind of parry it out wide on a Spain shot. I think that that's a big bright, stop, bright spot for Black Wendonovsky and for this United States team. But um, yeah, it, I think that's, I, I think I that's think, their price. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the, the two friendlies against Germany in November, um, I think there's a lot of question marks around that around who's going to be called in, who's going yes. to fit healthy for that, who is going to get the starts, what are we going to see from these players and the personnel of the rhythm? Are we going to see Pickett get third her third cap? Like, yes. are, Is that what we're going to see, or are we going to go back to maybe a bit more consistency in the back line? Will Fox be back for that after her concussion protocol? Will Kelly O'Hara be back into the mix? There are so many unanswered questions around that, and, and only time will tell in terms of that. I'm with you. I'm curious about it as well. I think we've typically seen, at least under head coach Vlako Andonovsky, uh, that the later stage of the calendar year is a time to sort of rotate in players. I mean, we've there are players who have um, sort of become staples over the last year on this team because of time that they spent with the U.S. Women's National Team pro, uh, program last November with the, that trip to Australia, right? We're seeing Sofia Huerta sort of, you know, coming a year year from that with with this national team so I am curious as to who will be available uh for those games against Germany it's a little bit different because they're going to be uh stateside and playing on U.S. soil but we're talking about uh about a week or so removed from an NWSL championship final who is going to be playing in those finals who's going to be available uh you know against the against the Germans uh out out of the conclusion of the NWSL postseason those are all uh, question marks that we'll hopefully have more answers to further uh, along the line and quite frankly, just a few weeks, it feels like at this point. Um, but, but I'm with you. I, I, I don't know if I would say that I agree with, with all of the panic in light of having all of the information yeah. um, in front of us. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I don't think it's unfair to, to sort of, you know, bring the heat on uh, a little bit on, on a program um, that has placed so much uh, expectations upon themselves and, you know, and, and, and of their performances and, and their players. So um, we'll see. We'll see. And in terms of, of everyone um, pointing fingers at Flacco and, and saying like, hey, we got to get him out. Um, there's a lot of good coaches in the NWSL. Coaching a national team is incredibly difficult. And Flacco oh my God. Was in yeah. the NWSL. As I think everybody is seeing that already, right? So like, yeah, that like was, was a fantastic that doesn't compute to me. <laughs> yes. Was, and Flacco was a fantastic coach in the NWSL. And, and maybe that doesn't translate as easily and as seamlessly as a lot of people thought. And maybe even Flacco himself. I mean, I'm speculating 100% on his thoughts on this, but um, I don't think going from having a team for 
10 months of the year, nine and a half months of the year and having training five to six days a week uh, with consistent games once a week translates at all to, to being on a national team and having players that are scattered across the country under different coaches, under different tactics and different mindsets and different formations um, around different players and then bringing them in for about eight or nine days of training with two friendlies against tough competition is the same. They, they really are just they don't compare by any means. All right. I like it, Lisa. You like it. I love it. We'll see. We'll see where this team is at when uh, they get ready to take on Germany in November. I'm sure we will be back with more about it all around it, previewing it, recapping it, all of those things for now, United States women's national team on a two game skid. We'll see if they can bounce back against Germany. That's all we got for you. Thanks everybody for listening to us here on attacking third Please download, follow, and listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us out here at the show. You can also watch us, subscribe to us on YouTube to know whenever we'll go live. And Lisa and I will be back because the NWSL playoffs are approaching. We've got exclusive interviews for you all. Stay tuned. For Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman, this was Attacking Third.